Hey listeners, thanks for dropping in. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. Hey listeners, welcome back to Buried Motives. We're glad you're joining us this week. And if it's your first time, welcome. Yes, we love all of our listeners, the ones that have been with us from day one, as well as the ones that are just finally finding us. Yes, we are always excited to talk true crime with everyone. And Christy has a case for us to do just that. Well, it's funny that you mention about us talking about true crime, because my opening question for you today is, Do you think that someone can take being a true crime fan too far? Absolutely. Because there have been times that I have honestly thought I could do that better. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes we do look at the dirtbags with a scrutinizing eye and we think they are so dumb. (laughs) Because when you research a lot of true crime or listen to a lot, you start to learn what works and what doesn't for the dirtbags to get away with their vile acts. Is that what you're going to tell us about today? A true crime fanatic like us turned into a (laughs) dirtbag? Well, I'm not going to put her in the same category as us. But I do know that for myself, since starting this podcast with Melissa, I have had to limit the amount of true crime I focus on outside of our research. Oh, that is very true. I am still a huge fan and I love other creators' content, but I have noticed that I now make conscious efforts to include more non-true crime content in my day as well. This case is super recent. The sentence was only dished out earlier this year. The details of this crime has made many in the true crime community discuss when is too much true crime too much. Uh, when you become the dirtbag, it's too much. (laughs) Exactly. My personal opinion is that when you stop seeing the victims and their families as real people and start admiring the dirtbags we talk about each week, you might need to reevaluate your consumption of true crime. I'm not saying that horror movies or true crime podcasts and documentaries can cause you to commit murder, but there is something to say about how it may lower your inhibitions and even subconsciously see murder as an option if the circumstance presented itself. Are you saying that because you just become desensitized over time? That's actually my next little note here is saying that we don't ever want to become desensitized. I could see that, yep. Viewing the crime from the victim's perspective or remembering that they were a person that affected other people's lives totally changes your perception on the cases that we talk about. I know visiting Taylor's memorial site from last week's case really changed how deeply I felt that case. Oh, for sure, because it brings it to life. We sometimes forget that these are real people and had real loving families. And that's something we should never do. But that's what this dirtbag did. Yeah, we're going to get into it, but she definitely goes from just being interested in true crime to kind of becoming obsessed with it and idolizing the killer, not feeling sorry for the victim. And that is definitely when it's gone too far. Yeah, but it's not a unique phenomenon. How many people do idolize killers? Right. As our girlfriend Bailey Sarian says, get better idols. (laughs) (laughs) Or just don't be a dirtbag. Right. (laughs) I just don't think that any killer should be idolized by anyone. No, studied to understand, but never idolized. Right. But look how many women write convicted murderers love letters and get married. And it's just, Kathy. <laughs> it's a wild thing. So true. <laughs> it always is so shocking to me. We're going to have a lot to discuss about this topic. But before we get started, I do want to point out that today's dirtbag has the same last name as the dirtbag I covered previously, Vincent Groves. Is that how you found her? No. (laughs) So I do want to point out that they're not related in any way. It is just a coincidence. And I actually contemplated not covering this case because it was the same name back to back. But then I realized that was kind of (laughs) silly. But I had just done the two Reigns brothers and I was like, can I really do two Groves in the next two episodes? But Here we are, I am. Absolutely, you can. Mm -hmm. It's just a coincidence. This case takes place in the UK. Australia and the UK are home to the majority of our listeners who live outside of North America. So shout out to all of you. We appreciate you listening. 
And shout out to UK true crime content creators. I learned of this case after watching a YouTube documentary about it from a UK creator, Eleanor Neal. It's always fun to see how other creators are doing things. Well, and I find that when I cover a UK case, it's nice to get the perspective of someone who's from there. Today's dirtbag is a woman, and I'm going to say up front that she gives me major Joanne Dennehy vibes. I covered Joanne back in March, so if you find this case interesting, you might also want to listen to that case. This also means that today's case comes with a lot of trigger warnings. That's not a good comparison. I just thought I would mention that so then you kind of know what we're in for. Listeners be warned. (laughs) Yes. This case is about a woman named Shay Groves. She was born and raised in Portsmouth, which is a port city in Hampshire, England. I couldn't find an exact birth date, but she would have been born in 1995 or early 1996. It was hard to find a lot of information about her family, but I was able to do a little sleuthing to find out that her father's name is Mark Groves. He is either divorced or never married Shay's mother. I could not find any information about her. I was able to find a brother of hers online, but I'm not sure how many siblings she may have or if they are full or half-siblings. The sentencing judge in Shay's case recognized that Shay had had a difficult time as a child. A lot of the information I found about this case was from the sentencing document after her trial by Mr. Justice Kerr. Shay was physically abused during her younger years, and it is believed that she was also sexually abused. Did it say by her dad? No, which is kind of funny because I'm going to address that in just a second. This type of thing in a child's life, right out of the gate, can have such detrimental consequences, and it definitely does in Shay's. Again, there was no specifics in her court documents available in Canada as to who committed this vile abuse towards her. She did seem to continue a relationship with her father, though. So to answer your question, I'm not going to jump to a common conclusion that the father did it, because that was my first reaction, too. Did she maintain a relationship with her father later in life? Yeah, there were recent posts about her dad, so he was definitely a part of her life. Oh, okay. To further answer your question about her dad, as an adult, on her Facebook feed, she posted a tribute to her dad a few times for Father's Day. And interestingly, she made a post asking people to help locate her dad in 2020. From what I could gather, he went missing for a few months, but was eventually located. She said he was in a bad way, he was using a crutch, and that the police were looking for him. So I'm unsure what his story is, but I just thought it was worth mentioning. There's definitely some background there. Definitely. But I think because this is such a recent case, nothing has been divulged about that. So maybe some instability in her childhood, definitely some abuse, but there was nothing that I could find about who did it to her. At age 11, Shay had to get hearing aids in both of her ears for partial deafness. Sadly, the kids at school took this as an opportunity to bully and tease her for it. Shay would not take the bullying lying down, and was described as having violent tendencies towards herself and others. It was said that Shay only really had two friends in school, Lauren and Vicky. Shay was described as the dominant one of the trio. By the time she was a teenager, Shay was self-harming. She would do this by making cuts to her legs. According to the Mayo Clinic, self-harm is a way to cope with emotional pain, sadness, anger, and stress. It is stated that self-injury may bring a brief sense of calm and a release of physical and emotional tension, but can be followed by guilt and shame and the return of painful emotions. So it can become a vicious cycle. So true. Cutting is one of those coping mechanisms that are so hard to understand, but at the heart of it, it is a coping mechanism, Mm -hmm. which is just so sad. It absolutely is. There was an incident in her youth when Shay lashed out and threatened others with a scalpel. It was said that she was known to carry a knife with her when she was a teenager. When Shay was 13 or 14, she was referred by a doctor for a mental health assessment. She was diagnosed with bipolar affective disorder as well as complex PTSD. Interestingly, the sentencing judge stated that they believed the bipolar was likely a misdiagnosis. They said it could have been true, but that the detailed findings of the psychiatrist who made that diagnosis were not available. So just because the findings weren't available, they thought it was not true? Well, we'll get into it when we cover the trial, but she had been evaluated by psychologists during the trial proceedings, and they had different findings. That's not uncommon. No. I just thought it was worth mentioning. Yeah. And like I said, we'll come back to that. Shay would later say that she was sexually abused as a child and had suffered from flashbacks and nightmares 
and as a result, she self-harmed for years. I believe she was doing it right up until when she was arrested. Also, as a teenager, Shay started to dabble in recreational drugs and alcohol. Again, another coping mechanism. Not the greatest one, but... No, but the only one she had. By her mid-teens, Shay was described as going off the rails. She had run away from home and got into a relationship with a man who was abusive towards her. She increased her self-harm and drug and alcohol use. Despite how bleak things were for her, Shay did have a season of sunshine. She began dating a man named Ashley Wingham. It appeared that Ashley treated her well. He was not like the other abusive dirtbags she had dated. On April 17, 2017, when Shay was 21, the two welcomed their baby girl into the world. Getting pregnant helped Shay to clean up for a time. I was able to find Shay's social media pages. I took the time to go through all of her posts. And honestly, it looked like she was a good mom, and they looked like a sweet little family. I do not doubt that she loved her daughter. There is a picture that is a little haunting to me. It is of Shay and her daughter baking together inside the kitchen where she would later be arrested for murder. I am unsure of the details, but eventually Shay and Ashley parted ways, I believe in 2020. He became engaged to a different woman in 2022. He has pleaded with the press to not share photos of their daughter. Many have posted photos of Shay and their daughter together. I can imagine how heavy this all must be for him and especially their little girl, who would be six years old now. Because of his plea for privacy, I am not going to even share their daughter's name or give any more updates on them. I hope for nothing but the best life for this little human who is forever connected to a monster. After leaving Ashley, Shay went to a woman's refuge. So she went to a women's refuge after leaving her partner, but he wasn't abusive? No, he wasn't abusive. I think it was more going to like a shelter. I have no place to stay. She had her daughter with her. I think she had kind of like couch surf for a bit and then ended up in this shelter type home. And so extended family she didn't feel was an option. Yeah, she must not have. If you remember, her dad had been missing for a few months. She said he was not in a good way. And I don't think her mom was in the picture. Okay. Eventually, she went to go live with one of her friends from school, Lauren White. Lauren was also a single mom to a little girl and had a house. She welcomed Shay and her daughter into her home in Havant, Hampshire. The house was in a suburb called Lee Park. It was located near the end of Botley Drive. The little girls were similar in ages and became fast friends. But it didn't take long for Shay to once again become domineering over Lauren, just like she had been in school. Lauren became like a slave in her own home. She took care of the girls, but also took care of Shay. What? Mm-hmm. Shay would boss Lauren around. She would make her do almost everything for her. Examples given included Shay making Lauren get out her clothes for her that she wanted to wear that day. She would have her put on her socks for her. She would make her roll her cigarettes and get her food and make her tea. She was all about the control. Yes. Which I'm assuming sometimes when you do grow up in an abusive household, having some form of control could be another coping mechanism. Right. Sometimes when you grow up not feeling loved, then you don't know how to express love either or even have a relationship with somebody. And spending so many years not having control over to what was happening to you, it would probably give her a sense of security to have that over somebody else. Not to excuse what she was doing because it was terrible, but gives us some understanding as to maybe why she was like that. Interesting. But when it comes down to it, Shay was a freeloader. She didn't work to help contribute and was definitely taking advantage of a good friend. And a little side note here, I did read a report that Shay sold cannabis, and so that could be how she had money to spend. But she wasn't contributing that money to the household. Not really. Okay. The judge stated that Shay had emotional control over Lauren, and on two occasions, she had become violent towards her. One of the incidents included Shay attacking her with nail clippers. It was said that she didn't stop until she saw all the blood. What? Yeah. Nail clippers? I know. But she had done some damage. What? I know. I thought that was pretty wild, too. But if I came chasing you and was, like, taking chunks of your skin out with nail clippers, that would not be a good thing. Was she physically a big person? No. Wow. That's sadistic. It is. Did she enjoy it? Yeah, she was definitely shifting inside. She was not only embracing her darker inner self, but she began displaying a darker outer image as well. She described herself as goth. 
you can see in her Facebook pictures a not-so-gradual change in her appearance. I'm not judging, just describing. She starts off more soft-looking. She has dyed blonde hair and posts pictures of herself in feminine dresses. Over a short period of time, she becomes heavily tattooed, including on her neck and face. One of the ones on her face is of a dagger going through her eye. The handle is above the eye and the blade is below her eye. What I did find interesting is that on December 20th, 2018, she posted a picture where I think it's her and a friend with matching tattoos on the back of their necks. The tattoos read, quote, nobody is entitled to my body but me. Oh, that's a statement. Mm-hmm. She stopped dyeing her hair blonde, but honestly, the dark hair looks good on her. I think it was just more of her natural color. She begins wearing darker makeup, more corsets, chokers, fishnets, and dark clothing that you might associate with a goth aesthetic. She also gets a lot more piercings. I counted 11 on her face alone. Oh, wow. Shay described herself as, quote unquote, dark and twisted, with a dark sense of humor. Where's her little girl in all this? She's there. She shares custody with the girl's dad. Okay. To go along with this dark and twistedness, Shay became super interested in serial killers, to the point of what you may call an obsession. It was said that when COVID hit and everyone was locked in their homes, she would spend most of her time watching and reading true crime. Shay started decorating the house to reflect her dark obsession. She ordered eight Etsy prints of famous serial killers, framed them, and made a feature wall of them in her bedroom. No way. Mm-hmm. I would never do that because it would terrify me. Yeah, that's bad juju. You don't want that in your house. Yeah. These killers included Eileen Warnos, who we've covered, Jeffrey Dahmer, the Yorkshire Ripper, Peter Sutcliffe, Moore's murderer, Myra Hindley, the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez, Ted Bundy, Charles Manson, and Rose West. And just a little fun fact, Shay would later be found guilty in the same courtroom that Rose West had been convicted in back in 1995. As I mentioned, the prints were from Etsy, so they were done up all artsy with blood stains and some with blood even dripping out of their eyes. No way. Mm-hmm. So does she want to be famous like them? Like she thinks they're famous and she wants to be famous too? Or she just literally idolizes them? I think it's more that she idolized them. I don't think she had intended to become famous. What does she idolize about them? Is it the power that she thought they wielded? It was more their craft. This fascination with serial killers began to cross the healthy threshold as she began idolizing them. She admired their work and studied how they got away with murder for such long periods of time. She was not horrified by their evil ways. She became enticed and looked up to them as humans. Instead of dirtbags. Yes. Because all of these pictures that she has on her wall are the worst of the worst. They're bad ones. But so instead of being like, oh, I can't believe that they killed this many people, some of them children, some of them their own children, she's like, oh, did you see that she was able to do this and this and this to evade the police? And this is what they did to hide the bodies. And they're so cool because they were able to get away with it for such a long time. Wow. Yeah. That is different. Definitely. That's definitely too far, listeners. <laughs> too far. <laughs> there was a book that appeared well read by her bed at the time of the murder all about Charles Bronson, as well as many other gangster true crime books. She always had a love of horror movies. Her bedside table was in the shape of a coffin. On the shelves, she had decorative knives that had horror movie villains on them. There was Chucky from Child's Play. Oh, that guy creeps me out. Jigsaw from Saw and Pennywise from It on them. <laughs> that one freaks me out. <laughs> Shay also started calling Lauren Chucky, a nickname after the killer doll. Some people said she was really obsessed with Chucky. To go along with the horror, Shay began collecting weapons. She kept a flip knife in her boot and displayed a collection of daggers in her room. She kept some by her bed, just in case she needed one to defend herself. She kept a ball-bearing gun in her drawer and Viking axes in her room. And this is all happening during COVID. That's when it seemed to spur, yes. Was she getting like cabin fever or something? Like what is going on? I don't know. This is unusual. It is. Mind you, I was thinking she didn't have a job that she was having to stay home from anyways. She was freeloading. It was a stressful time, but this seems extreme. Yes. It's almost like she's creating her identity around her obsession with these killers and everything horror. 
that's an unusual environment to have a child in. That's what I was thinking, too. What did her little girl think when she walked into her mom's room? Because as a mom, you know, your kids will come in and sit on your bed and hang out with you and then look up on the wall and there's all these serial killers with like blood gushing out of them. They're terrified and they don't come in. Right. Shay said she liked to shock people with the weapons and pictures of serial killers. She posted a picture of herself standing in front of the tribute wall. Is that what she called it? A tribute wall? No, I don't think she. Okay. Yeah. I think that's what I'm calling okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was basically a tribute wall. Mind you, I read and looked at so much stuff, maybe she did, and that's how I got that word in my brain, but <laughs> don't like quote me on that. like her own little personal wall of fame. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, she was like posting all cutesy in front of the picture of all the serial killers. The other way Shay liked to shock others was with her sexual preferences inside the bedroom. Shay became heavily interested in BDSM and violent sex. Somehow that doesn't surprise me. No, it didn't me either. She began watching rape pornography and had CCTV cameras installed inside her room. What? Yeah. She had them throughout her house. Just to catch all of the action? Yep. And is this how she's going to get caught? Well, it doesn't help her case, that's for sure. Oh my goodness. We're going to come back to these CCTV cameras. (laughs) But you're telling me she studies a whole bunch of true crime and then she sets up CCTV cameras in her Yes. I doesn't expect to get caught. <laughs> Not the smartest survey. <laughs> oh, that is good. <laughs> but to be honest, I don't think she was planning to get caught inside her home. I don't think she was planning to become a killer. Okay. The reason she wanted these CCTV cameras installed is she would sometimes use this footage to make men she had engaged in consensual sex with do things for her. She blackmailed them? Yes. The example I heard was that she told an ex she would post the video for his new girlfriend to see if he didn't drive her around for the day. The girl had errands to run, I guess. So just little things, but she would use it to hold over the people that she had slept with because they were into some kinky stuff. And she's like, I'll make sure your mom sees this or I'll post this on Facebook for everyone to see if you don't give me or do what I want. I wonder if anybody called her on it because she's in the video too. She doesn't care. She's proud of it. Wow. And apparently it would work because the guy would be like, yeah, I'd rather drive you around to do your errands than have you show this to my girlfriend. For sure. Do people know that she was recording them while they were doing all this stuff or was it a surprise after I've recorded you? Oh, that I'm not sure. But isn't that an offense in and of itself? I'm not sure what the law is in the UK, but I would think so. So people could have reported her. Right. But then their footage would be seen. Right. So like I said, is it better to just drive her around for the day or give her 20 bucks or to blow up your whole world? Right. But maybe that was part of her conniving then was to not ask too much. Yeah, because at first I was like, just to run some errands, like, girl, you could have gotten so much more for that. Then she's assured that they're not going to go to the police over something so little. They'd just rather do it. Right. Because then she's pushing her luck. Mm -hmm. But this way, she could easily manipulate people into doing what she wanted. Like I said, Shay also had cameras installed in other areas of the house, like in the kitchen and living room. Was she blackmailing or manipulating Lauren in this way too? Not that I'm aware of, no. Okay. It was mostly just the men that she had slept with. One night in February of 2022, Shay went to the club with friends for a night out. A certain man caught her eye, and unfortunately for him, she caught his eye as well. This man was 25-year-old Frankie Fitzgerald. The two quickly became enamored with one another. Frankie had two children from a past relationship, and so he was not bothered by Shay also having a child. However, this relationship, although passionate, would not prove to be a healthy one. It would be a very slippery slope of regression and escalation for Shay. Shay had stayed clean from drugs up until this point after giving birth to her daughter and had stopped self-harming for a period of time. About a month into their relationship on the evening of March 12th, Shay and Frankie got into a fight over his cocaine use. He wanted her to join in on his fun and begin using drugs again. That night, Shay once more began cutting into her legs. And soon after, she began also using drugs. It was said that Frankie was upset about Shay cutting herself, but he welcomed her back into the world of drug use. How's that for peer pressure? Right? 
I am going to say that I am in no way trying to victim blame, but I just am relaying the information pertaining to their situation. It is sometimes difficult because we never want to tarnish the name of a victim, but they had their own lives and their own issues that they were dealing with. It doesn't make them bad people. It's just the facts. Exactly. And that's how I feel this case is. Both Frankie and Shay were highly suspicious and jealous of one another. Neither one trusted the other. They would blow up if the other one messaged someone of the opposite sex, especially if it was someone from a former relationship. The sentencing judge noted that Frankie had been convicted of domestic violence towards his ex, the mother of his children. That would make it a very difficult relationship because they both have exes with children. You have to converse with them. Exactly. Some people claim that this violence towards his ex is untrue, but he did admit to Shay that he could become violent. That being said, I think they were equally destructive towards one another. There were times that they would destroy each other's stuff, and one time Frankie wouldn't let Shay leave the room after an argument. It was clear that this relationship was volatile. It was filled with jealousy, lies, cocaine, alcohol, and extremely violent sex. The couples enjoyed having their sexual escapades recorded so that they could watch it together later. So Frankie definitely knew about the cameras. Okay. The two entered an official agreement in writing to have consensual non-consent sex, or CNC sex for short. That seems like an oxymoron. Right. And because of that, I'm going to do my best to explain what this means, because it does become important in her case. Consensual non-consent sex is when two parties agree to have sex under a blanket agreement. This means that one party can take sex from the other in an aggressive way at any time. Separate consent each time is not required. You can't say no in the moment of it? Well, no, not really. The couple is supposed to discuss ahead of time what is okay to do to the other and what is off limits. And do you set up like a safe word? That's my next part. A very important part of CNC sex is to set up a safe word from the start. The reason this is needed is because if one partner decides to force the other to have sex with them on a whim, having that person protest and resist is part of the consent. So without a safe word, you could be struggling to get away and saying no or stop that, and the other person would think that it was just part of the experience. So without a safe word, the experience could turn from consensual to actual rape. So really what they're doing is they're getting off on pretending to rape somebody, but not actually doing it because they have this consent. Right. As I was doing some research, it said it's different than rape role play. So like I said, it's basically like a blanket agreement. But you say what is okay, what's not okay, and then you need that safe word so that they know like, no, I'm serious. You really need to stop. Okay. Because otherwise, all bets are off and you can just keep doing what you want to do. Sounds dangerous. It definitely was for them. I think this type of sexual engagement, you have to have an elevated level of trust and respect and faith that your partner is going to um, honor your safe word. Yeah. And it doesn't sound like they have that kind of relationship. No. This sounds like a disaster. It really is. Most commonly, couples use traffic-like colors to symbolize their willingness. Yellow light would mean that this is getting to the edge of my limits And red light would be the indicator that this is not okay and it needs to stop immediately. Frankie and Shay really enjoyed participating in CNC together. It was said that they both would sometimes be the dominant or aggressive one. To go along with this, they would verbally degrade one another. Frankie would refer to Shay as his dirty little whore and Shay was okay with it. It was part of the role play. Correct. The couple had their agreement put in writing as a sex contract on March 22nd. They had Shay's other friend from school, Vicky Baitup, witness the contract for them. I believe this contract was written up after things went a little too far between them. On one occasion, Frankie forced himself into the back door and afterwards admitted that it was a little quote-unquote rapey. Shay admitted that it wasn't the most romantic thing that happened between them, but that it just proved her love for him. Because of the CCTV cameras in her room, it was later revealed that Shay had told him to stop and was clearly in great pain, but he just continued. Again, this is why a safe word needed to be implemented. So that's why they wrote up the contract after. Right, but I don't know that they even had that safe word in the contract, because it seems like things get out of hand more than once. Okay. Later, Shay would tell the court about this incident and say, quote, I believe he knew exactly what he had just done. He had anally raped me. 
I am surprised that she's even consenting to all of this because I'm having a hard time understanding how it could not be a trigger for her from her past. No, it was said that she quite enjoyed this type of sex. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. It seemed like the couple would inflict intentional pain and sexual suffering onto one another, but then wouldn't aid one another in any form of aftercare, which I would imagine should be an important part of this type of sex. It would be that trusting, loving part of the relationship. Right. Because you can actually really be hurting one another during this. And so afterwards, a loving partner, you would think, would want to help you recover. She was said to be good at manipulating those around her. At one point, she made up a horrible lie that she had cancer. She told Frankie and her roommate Lauren that she was sick and had to undergo treatments for the cancer. She would go to pretend doctor's appointments and then relish in the sympathy she received from those around her. This sympathy meant that everyone would wait on her hand and foot and buy her gifts or give her money when she needed it. And make her feel cared for? I guess. Her medical records later proved that she never had any form of a cancerous condition. I have to say this takes a big dirtbag status to ever lie about having cancer. Absolutely it does. Despite the couple breaking up and then getting back together regularly, it was said that they did love one another. In April, Shay wrote a heartfelt love letter to Frankie. I think that when they were sober, they were fantastic together. But when they cracked open the booze and brought out the cocaine, that is when all heck would break loose. Around this same time, Shay wrote a letter to her family saying that she wanted to end her life. Apparently, this was not the first time she had thoughts of this nature. So she's still clearly struggling. In April, the aggression in their relationship would begin to escalate even more. Remember, they only got together in February, so we are talking only two months in. This entire relationship was a giant red flag. They would go from meeting to murder in just five short months. That is just a short amount of time. It is, for things to escalate so quickly. Frankie became extra jealous of one of Shay's ex-boyfriends. Shay was still in contact with him, and Frankie did not like it. There are rumors that both were being unfaithful. As I mentioned, the two would break up and then get back together on repeat. However, even when broken up, they would get together to film their adult, not-so-fun, fun time. They would bounce back and forth between talking to one another with love and admiration to calling one another super vile, sexually explicit, and disrespectful things. On May 12th, Frankie sent Shay a text message threatening to snap her in half if she slept with anyone other than him. He threatened the man she would sleep with as well, and told her that, quote, cancer will be the least of your worries. So did he believe the cancer stories? They did. I don't know how long she kept up that ruse, but they believed it for a while at least. Again, their relationship was only five months. Shay shared this message with her friend Vicky. I believe she sent her a screenshot of it. Vicky said she was worried for Shay's safety. Frankie also expressed concerns over his own safety. The same day that he threatened her, they had sex on camera, and the video shows him confronting Shay about why she keeps a dagger under her pillow. He asked her if she was planning to stab him in the throat with it. She told him that she just kept it there for protection. I forgot about all the daggers in the bedroom. Yeah. Oh, that's so dangerous. It would just be a survival instinct if their sexual relationship went farther than what she wanted and all of a sudden he wasn't listening and she's got a dagger right underneath of her pillow. That's risky. I know. And I'm thinking she has a six-year-old daughter running around the house. Why are you keeping daggers under your pillow? Oh, I never even thought about that. I forgot all about her daughter. I'm sure it was not a good living situation for her daughter, especially alcohol, cocaine. I don't think it was probably being saved for just when her daughter wasn't there. Or maybe she was seeing her daughter less and less during this time. Maybe. It's only a five-month period. Right. By summertime, the couple were consistently going through one another's phones, trying to prove their suspicions that the other one was being unfaithful. And at this point, I questioned, why are these two even staying together, if it was affecting both of their self-esteem and sanity so much? It happens, though. But that early in, if you have to check his phone every day, maybe it's time to reevaluate. But he was doing the same thing with her. That's the whole point of the dysfunctionality, though. Right. They played childish games, trying to catch one another in lies. One night when Shay went out with Lauren and Vicky, Frankie blocked her on his phone because he believed she was out with her ex. Shay accused Frankie of sleeping with someone else when she came down with Thrush. They would set up fictitious profiles to try and catch the other one being flirtatious or agreeing to cheat. 
This is not a healthy relationship. No, volatile isn't even a strong enough word for it. Shay was getting increasingly frustrated and started talking about hurting Frankie. She spoke even about getting friends to jump them and give Frankie a beating or worse. This way he wouldn't know it was set up by her. That being said, she also said that Frankie might hurt her and he would end up as the last picture on her wall of serial killers. Wow. That's a statement to make. Right. She was like, oh, there's one open space. That's where Frankie will go. On June 11th, Shay was so convinced that Frankie was sleeping with his baby mama that she got drunk, collected up his clothes, and drove over to his ex's house and dumped his stuff all over her front lawn. (laughs) And were they? That I'm not 100% sure. Okay. It was just said that it's very probable that they both were cheating on each other. Soon after this incident, Shay did begin a sexual affair with her ex-boyfriend. She probably felt justified. Right. If you're sleeping with your ex, I'm going to sleep with mine. And this is not her daughter's father. It was a different man. She discovered that she got a thrill out of juggling both men. She would have sex with one and then go have sex with the other on the same day. <gasps> oh, that just sounds so dirty. Right. She'd But basically go from one bed to the next. She would also make it so that they would almost run into one another, having one leave right before the other one got there. During the beginning of July, there were three close calls when the two lovers of Shay's almost met up. She's definitely a thrill seeker. She is. Shay had a group chat with Lauren and Vicky, and they would discuss these close encounters there. In this chat, Lauren said that they were, quote, all dead girls walking if the two men met up and discovered what was happening. Frankie became more depressed, and so Shay agreed to take down the video cameras in the bedroom. The prosecution would later say that this proved premeditation, but the sentencing judge didn't think that was the case. Frankie was worried that Shay would follow through with her threats of posting their videos to make him look like a rapist and essentially would ruin his life. Little did he know that she would instead take his life completely. Didn't she already have a whole bunch of videos of him doing these things to her? Yeah, they did. And she was using those videos to threaten him when they would get into a fight. So he was getting depressed and just like, I need you to take away the cameras. Like, I can't handle this being a continual threat over my head. To me, taking down the cameras doesn't mean that that threat goes away because she still has previous video. Exactly. But it's just preventing more from being collected. He's feeling more and more uncomfortable with the situation, it sounds like. Yes. And I do think it was a smart angle for the prosecution to say, oh, that proves premeditation, because normally I would be like, yeah, it probably did. But I just don't think that it did in this case. But maybe it was both. (laughs) I have to hear the rest of the case before I decide. Well, we're going to get into the nitty gritty right away here. I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. We're now podcasters. And why did we call it that? Well, you know us as decorators, but we've got lots more to share. We want to talk about travel and relationships. We're going to have amazing guests on. Guests who inspire us for sure. We'll probably talk about design too. And of course, Tommy, don't forget about food. Oh my gosh, how did I forget about food? So please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or as they say, wherever you get your podcast. And we'll pop right up when we have a new episode. Where's us luck? I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. On July 14th, three days before the murder, Shay and Frankie had an explosive fight. The next day, Shay's conversation with Vicky and Lauren was recorded in the kitchen because she had left the kitchen and living room cameras up. Her putting those CCTV cameras up is going to provide the prosecution with more evidence. Oh, it totally does. And that's how we know about this conversation. In this conversation, Shay told her friends that the two of them had been drinking and Frankie went through her phone. Shay retaliated by talking about the size of his and her ex's manhood. Frankie retaliated by calling out his ex's name while she performed oral sex on him (gasps) later that evening. No, he didn't. He did. Shay also said that Frankie had a temper tantrum and punched her wall and bookcase. 
just to get back at her. Yeah. So this is setting the stage then that she's going to be ticked right off at him. Right. The whole few days leading up to the murder are not good ones. The day after this fight, Frankie didn't go to work. He was working as a plumber at the time, but he was clearly still upset. He took off for an entire day. Vicky expressed to Shay that she was concerned for her safety, but Shay assured her that she had said to Frankie, quote, I'd effin' put that knife in you, and I know that I would. She then basically said that she was willing to do a quote-unquote long stretch in prison. So she had confronted Frankie and was like, yeah, I'll F you up if you try to do anything. So that shows that she is having these thoughts beforehand. How could she not? How could either of them not have these thoughts? There's still a big stretch between C&C and murder. Oh, definitely. But it's all of the things together. It's not just the C&C. I think if you're into that and you do that properly, that can be an okay thing. If that fuels your fire. Right. But it's interesting that she's already having those thoughts processing in her head. It's not just I'll kill you, but she's got a plan. She's already thinking, I'd use the knife. Yeah, that's true. But he had been threatening her too. I'm going to snap you in half. I'm going to paralyze you. I'm going to do all of these horrible things. I'm going to hang you. Hmm. On Saturday, July 16th, Frankie returned to Shay's place. The two drank beer and took cocaine. Thankfully, Shay's daughter was at her father's house for the weekend. But I'm not sure where Lauren's daughter was. Hopefully she wasn't there either. Frankie did more drugs than Shay did, but neither of them appeared overly incapacitated. They probably had quite the tolerance. Oh, I'm sure they did at this point. The pair sat and went through one another's phones for a while, before Frankie switched his attention to online gambling. He was running out of money, so Shay lent him some. Just mutually sitting on the couch, like, here, let me check and see if you're cheating on me. Yeah, and I'll check and see if you're cheating on me. That's what it sounded like. Then he was like, okay, I'm bored of this. I'm going to gamble. And so while he's doing that online, Shay started sending spicy Snapchat messages to her ex-boyfriend, who was also now her lover slash side piece. But to get attention then, because now he's distracted with his own phone, he's not giving her any attention. So this will bring her his attention straight back. Could be. Frankie sent this said lover a message that night telling him to back off of his girl. At 1.20 in the morning, now July 17th, Frankie found the Snapchat messages between Shay and this man. As you'd expect, a fight began to brew. Lauren was at the house at the time and was becoming worried, so she messaged their mutual friend Vicky, saying that she was worried that things could turn dangerous. Eventually, Frankie went to bed, but Shay was not finished looking through Frankie's phone. I'm wondering if because he just found incriminating evidence against her, She wanted to find something against him to throw back in his face. What happens next is the reason Shay later says she killed Frankie. At 3.12 in the morning, Shay came across and screenshotted a conversation that Frankie had with a girl on Facebook Messenger. While she read through this conversation, the girl admitted to Frankie that she was only 13 years old. (gasps) No way. Shay became enraged. I assume memories of her own childhood and sexual abuse came flying back. So this is what triggered her. What makes what is about to happen even more horrible than it is, is the fact that if Shay had looked a little further, she would have discovered that Frankie blocked this girl right after she said she was only 13. It turned out in actuality that the girl was 17 years old, not 13. Regardless, Shay now felt like her boyfriend was a pedophile. Oh, man. So he didn't cross a line. He was not a pedophile. He blocked the girl immediately. But Shay just saw that part and saw red. So she just assumed that he was a dirtbag. Yeah. Shay went up the stairs towards her bedroom. When she opened the door, she saw Frankie asleep in her bed. Shay grabbed her Celtic dagger and plunged it into Frankie's throat as he slept. Just like he said? Yes. That was total foreshadowing. Oh, The pathologist who later examined Frankie's body said that this stabbing took considerable force. Shay meant business. To quote the sentencing report about this initial stab wound, it reads, The back of his throat was opened internally. The left internal jugular vein was completely severed, and the left common carotid artery partially severed, causing torrential bleeding and rapid loss of consciousness and death. Torrential bleeding really puts a picture in your head. It really does. There would have been no way that Frankie could have survived this lethal blow. He had no defensive wounds. He never saw it coming. He was sound asleep. Yeah. 
Next, Shay proceeded to stab Frankie over 20 times in his heart, chest, and neck area. 17 of the stabs entered the front of his chest, two entered a different area of his chest, and three in total entered his neck. This fatal attack resulted in multiple perforations of his heart and lungs. It was said that the blood loss was catastrophic. It is believed that she continued to stab him until the bubbling or gurgling noises coming from him stopped. He was only 25 years old at the time of his death. Wow, that is overkill. Major overkill. Especially when the original blow, they know, killed him. Yeah, they said even if she had called an ambulance, the second after she had stabbed him, he would not have survived. The blood loss was too devastating. After viciously murdering her boyfriend, Shay's love of true crime kicked in. She mentally began going through the information she learned while obsessing over serial killers to help her come up with a plan on how to cover up what she had just done. The first thing she needed to do was establish an alibi. To do this, she immediately sent two different text messages to Vicky saying that Frankie stormed out of the house and basically it was over. She also made a phone call to a man to try and make it seem like they were hooking up so that she could say she called him and then they were together for a booty call. But this guy could deny that. It doesn't even need to get that far. Oh. But her brain just immediately kicked into true crime fan. I know what I got to do. Next, Shay knew she needed to clean up the horrific blood-filled crime scene. To do this, she enlisted the help of her roommate and friend, Lauren. No way. She made Lauren clean it up? She made her help. I cannot imagine what was going through Lauren's mind once she showed her what she had done to Frankie. But now they're going to be going back and forth through the living room and kitchen on the CCTV cameras. Right. Lauren helped spread out garbage bags across the floor to set Frankie's body on so that they could begin to clean up all the blood. And this part is not very true crime fan of her because she debated if she could make the murder appear like a suicide. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think so. This was shocking considering how much true crime she did watch. Her other option, she decided, was to bury him in her backyard, or garden as they say in the UK. If she were to bury him, she could say he stormed out after their fight and she never saw him again. What I'm about to tell you next proves to me just what a dirtbag she is at heart. I don't know if she was wanting to brag and show off her handiwork, or if she just didn't want to leave out their third amigo. But for whatever reason, Shay decided to video call Vicky. She called her after about four hours of cleaning the crime scene. 26-year-old Shay exclaimed to Vicky, quote, I've done him, meaning I've killed him. Shay then proceeds to excitedly show Vicky around the crime scene. Shay told her that she stabbed Frankie in the neck when he was sleeping. Vicky said she was giggling about what she had done and went back into the room three times to show Vicky Frankie's body. At first, Vicky didn't believe it, but later said when Shay pointed the camera close towards Frankie's face, she could clearly see just how deep the gash was in his neck and knew that her friend had just become a killer. During this video call, Lauren exclaimed that she thought she might crack. To this, Shay warned her that she was now an accomplice. I think Lauren had to be terrified. What sane person wouldn't be? And just a little quick update right now about Lauren. She was originally arrested with Shay, but her charges were later dropped. Shay would admit that her friend had nothing to do with what happened. She wasn't convicted of being an accomplice after the fact? No, because I think she was just fearful of her own life. It was under duress. I believe so. Because remember, she's even putting on this woman's socks for her. She's so under her manipulative spell. Right. And her daughter's in the same household with her. Yeah. And if she just did this to the man she supposedly loves, what is she going to do to you if she thinks you're going to tell and not be part of the team? Right. Thankfully, Vicky did not mess around. And as soon as she was off the phone with Shay, she promptly called 999 to report what she had just seen. Good for her. Yes. You can watch a short video clip of when police knock on Shay's door earlier that morning. Because <laughs> of the cameras. You can see their reaction. No, the police actually have like a oh, the body, body cam. cam on. Okay. Yeah. So when the door is opened, Shay is on the phone, dressed in a fluffy pink bathrobe and smoking a cigarette. Police later remarked that as soon as she opened the door, they could smell a strong odor of bleach. As an officer, if you got called to a potential homicide, wouldn't the smell of bleach be an immediate oh crap moment? Yes. The officer asks her what is going on and she says, quote, with what? acting like she has no idea what he's talking about. The officer confirms with her that she is in fact Shay. 
He then gets right to the point and says that they received some kind of strange, interesting call about someone getting their throat slit. And she's like, okay. He asks her what is going on here, and she makes a comment about her dogs. You can hear them barking in the background. She was acting oblivious about what he was talking about. And is it believable on the video? She's definitely acting confused. Huh. To me, it wasn't blatantly obvious that she had just killed a man. Like, she didn't look like she had. She's on the phone. She's casually smoking a cigarette. She's got this pink fluffy robe on. You would expect her to be a little bit more frazzled. Right. However, dead bodies on your bedroom floor don't lie. Police had arrived long before Shay had time to bury her victim. The video then edits to them standing in her kitchen and the officer explaining the terms of her arrest with her. While this is happening, she continues to puff on her cigarette and nervously nods her head. The officer in this video, I don't know his name, but he sounded so calm and was treating Shay in a kind way. He honestly deserves an award. It would be hard to remain calm when there's a dead body in the next room. Yeah, and imagine what that crime scene looked like. And the person responsible is standing right in front of you. Right. And at this point in the video, you can tell she looks nervous. Hmm. Perhaps part of the reason that she didn't get around to burying the body was because Shay had been busy editing CCTV footage from her bedroom. Because she engaged in BDSM and CNC sex with Frankie, she was able to edit some of the footage to make it look like he outright raped her. She had decided that if she did get caught, she was going to claim that Frankie was abusing her and she killed him out of self-defense. And I believe she had sent this edited video to Vicky as her quote-unquote proof. That morning, after the fact, she sent the video. Right. I think right after she had done it, when she was like, oh, he left, we got into a fight. And then after when she had time to do the editing, she sent it to Vicky. But are they able to tell that it's an edit? They are, because the court would later access the CCTV footage. They could get the whole video and were able to determine (laughs) that the sex in the video had been edited to appear as rape. The footage was definitely displaying violent or rough sex, but it was determined to be consensual. Wow. At first, she answered any interrogation questions with no comment. But by the third interview, she decided to start talking. It was all hogwash, but she was talking. But now they can catch her in lies. Right. If she's talking, they can catch her in a lie. Exactly. Shay created a story about what happened in the wee hours of July 17th. She said that the two of them had consumed alcohol and cocaine, and that part was true. She said that when she found the messages with the supposed 13-year-old girl on Frankie's phone, she lost it. She said, quote, I was straightway angry, upset and confused. It tipped me over the edge. Which also, that part is probably true. Shay continued to say that because she was so angry, she threatened Frankie that she was going to post one of the videos of him raping her online so everyone could see what he truly was. But Frankie was asleep when she found these messages. But not in her story, he's not. She continued to lie and said that she could see something change in his eyes and said he was now filled with rage. Shay then claimed that Frankie, quote, grabbed me by the throat and pinned me to the bed on the headboard. I couldn't breathe, even cough or scream. My eyes were streaming and going blurry. I genuinely feared for my life. I reached out to grab an object off the bookcase and I hit him in the throat. She said she thought she had grabbed a money box from the bookcase, but it turned out to be her dagger. That's a big difference. Yeah. All I have to say is how could that even remotely feel the same? And I am sorry, but hitting someone with an object and shoving a dagger into someone's flesh are two totally different things. She said that after accidentally stabbing him, he stood up and then slid down the wall really slowly. Which they're going to be able to disprove because of the blood stains. Yeah, there would not be slide marks. There probably was blood on the wall, but not in the pattern that would happen if he was sliding down it. How is she claiming she's a true crime fan if she doesn't know these things? I know. She's obviously not thinking straight Mm -mm. as she's making up these stories and these lies because they're pretty easily going to be disproven. Right. About the realization of what she did, Shay said, quote, When he stopped moving, there was a bubbling and a weird noise coming out of his neck. I realized what I'd done. I'd killed him. I tried to stop the bubbling. I stabbed him in the heart to try and stop the heart, stop the bubbling, making it sound like she was putting him out of the pain he was in. She even had said she had tried to put her hand over it to just stop yeah. that gurgling noise. And I hope that noise haunts her. Oh, it probably does. But I can see why you were saying that this doesn't sound like premeditated. 
Like, I think she would have come up with a better explanation and a better plan for afterward had it been premeditated. Oh, 100% I agree. Yeah. She was flying by the seat of her pants. She was like, okay, what did I learn from all these serial killers? What should I be doing? Okay, alibi. Okay, now we got to clean up and then we'll take care of the body. Yeah. She just wasn't going through it in a way, thankfully, that she could get away with it. When police suggested that she stabbed him while he slept, she asked, why wasn't the bed covered in blood then? They responded that his body was wrapped in the duvet on the floor, which was saturated in blood. She's not thinking straight at all. Uh Uh-uh. She would keep up her self-defense when her trial started. It was held at Winchester Crown Court and lasted five weeks. In response to her self-defense claim, the prosecuting attorney stated, quote, If the killing was self-defense, why go about setting such an elaborate false alibi for yourself? Why didn't she call the police immediately? Why did she clean up the crime scene? Why did she move the body? He answers this question himself. He said, quote, It was a cunning ploy. Nothing was affecting her mind at the time. The defense referred to some of the threatening texts that Frankie had sent to Shay to try and convince jury members of the abuse allegation. These included the threats of snapping her in half, of paralyzing her or hanging her. He had also said to her, quote, You're mine and mine only. This sounds rightfully shocking, but I do know that a lot of their texts became distasteful as part of their CNC sex agreement. Some of those texts were pretty graphic, so I'm unsure if he was embracing the fantasy or if he really wanted to threaten and hurt her. Shay told the court that the reason she had a dagger in her room was for pagan religious rituals. (laughs) But the judge did not buy this. There was zero evidence to support this claim. And it's not the only one she has. No, she had a collection. She was examined by a court-appointed psychiatrist and was said to suffer from emotionally unstable personality disorder. This was believed to cause her to act on impulses without much forethought. However, this did not make her free from the responsibility of her actions. It might have suggested, though, that Frankie's murder was committed on an impulse decision and was not fully premeditated. The judge did say that Frankie was far from blameless in the relationship as well, but he said that they were both equally a danger to one another. Uh, I might argue with that because she's alive and he isn't. That's a good point. Ultimately, after four days of deliberation, the jury unanimously rejected her claim of self-defense, loss of self-control, and diminished responsibility for Frankie's vicious murder. She was found guilty of murder on Valentine's Day of this year. That's kind of fitting, hey? Very poetic. (laughs) Apparently, while the jury was out deliberating, she wrote a letter of remorse to Frankie's family and children, the only display of remorse that she ever showed. I'm unsure if it was even ever delivered to them. She had even been seen joking around during the trial. She was joking around during the trial in front of the jury. Correct. And so this letter was said to be the only time she actually showed any remorse. Because she was going with this self-defense plea. Right. But it's also physical evidence that's going to help get her off. So it seems a little self-serving. Exactly. It seems (laughs) dirtbaggish. If I was on trial for murder, I would not be laughing and joking around. No, not at all. Especially if you're in a state of remorse where you're willing to write a letter to the family. Or wouldn't you want to at least appear that you're shooken up about this? His family and friends and loved ones are in that courtroom. It's just a slap to the face. She had been tearful in her telling of the horrific abuse she endured. But when the verdict was read, she was emotionless and just smiled. It was noted that she had worn a jacket into the courtroom that day with a pentagram drawn onto the back of it. On February 22nd, 2023, less than nine months ago, Shay Groves was given a life sentence. After 23 years, she will be eligible for parole when she is 50 years old. If not, she will serve the full 26 years behind bars. But she'll still be out in time for a decent chunk of her life. The sentencing judge said, quote, You have robbed Frankie's family and loved ones of their son and brother and his two young children of their father. You ended his life while he was still in his mid-twenties. You have not only taken his life, you have blighted those of his mother, father, siblings, and children for decades to come. The judge also said that she was only interested in preserving herself and that she basically had little regard towards anyone else's suffering. Frankie's family gave victim impact statements. About those statements, the judge said to Shay, quote, No one with any compassion could but be deeply moved by them. The pain, grief, and anger you caused them is enduring and unending. 
His loved ones and children must live with the knowledge that their Frankie has been cruelly taken from them in the prime of his young life, in a futile, unnecessary, self-regarding, and shameful attack. The judge recognized that this was a crime of passion. He said to her that she, quote, loved the man you killed and killed the man you loved. You are, as the Crown submitted, manipulative, jealous, and possessive. A crime of passion is not committed in cold blood. He continued to say, quote, If you could not have Frankie, no one could. No other woman would have him if you could not. You saw to that. It sounds like from the judge's statements that he thought it was about another woman having him and not so much about the text that she found with the supposed 13-year-old. Well, I think it was her obsession of him cheating and that the text with a 13-year-old pushed over the edge. But there was also rumors that Frankie was getting ready to leave, that he was wanting to break up the relationship. Okay. I couldn't confirm those, so I hadn't put it in, but I think that did play a part. Frankie's parents stated, quote, As a parent, you never expect to outlive your children. You will do anything in your power to protect them. Frankie was our baby, the youngest of five children. He can never be replaced. He was a kind and beautiful person and sadly leaves two children behind that will never get to know their daddy. We thank the jury for their verdict today. To our Frankie, we love and miss you more than anything in this world. Your shining light will always be our hearts. This is all still so fresh. I hope they are continuing down their healing journey. Their son did not deserve to be murdered by this monster of a woman. It's just so sad. It really is. Speaking of family, I want to recognize that there are three more victims in this case. Frankie's two children and Shay's daughter. Because of her vile actions, all of these children will grow up with one less parent in their lives. I found Frankie's social media account, and the last public post of his that I could find was posted in February of 2022, the same month he met Shay. It was a beautiful picture of him with his two children. I hope Shay's daughter can grow up outside of the dark shadow that her mother cast over her. She is not her mother. I'm going to end with one last quote. On September 7th, 2021, well before the murder, Shay made a post about her daughter. It reads, quote, I've watched you grow into a beautiful, independent girl with a whole lot of attitude, and I've cried many times watching you grow and find your feet in this big world. But if I could find a pause button to hold on to you a little longer, I would. I'm not sure who's more anxious, me or you. It's a new experience for us both. But I know you're excited about being a big girl, and I know I have to let you be one. I know you're ready for this journey, and I'll be here to guide you. I love you. And that is the case of a volatile coward who fatally stabbed the man she claimed to love while he slept in her bed and used the knowledge of true crime to try and cover up her murder and blame the victim. The raunchy dirtbag, Shay Groves. That last post is so sad because she promises to be there for her daughter and then she made decisions that ensured that she wouldn't be there for her daughter. Exactly. I think the kids are the biggest victims in that. No matter how many cases we study, I am always so saddened by the amount of victims. It goes well beyond just the ones that are killed. So many of their family members and their friends become victims of the crime as well. That's so true. And if you ever do feel like you're becoming desensitized, it's okay to take a little break. But with that being said, we do hope you'll join us next week when Melissa brings us another case. Until then. See ya. Bye. Testing, testing. Maybe this will work a little bit better. Christy needs to be just a little bit louder than I am. But I am in person, so I don't know why when we record, I'm not. (laughs) Hey, listeners. Is it my turn? Yeah, just my mic was moving. Oh, okay. (laughs) Why is it moving? I didn't even touch it. It just started moving. It's the ghost, Christy. It's the ghosties. (laughs) We're always excited to talk true. What? True crime is a hard thing to say. I spent a lot of time creeping their social medias for this one. That's what I did this week too. Really? <laughs> yes. Why are we the same? <laughs> I got a yawn. But I made you yawn. <laughs> I'm so vanilla. I'm like, I don't even know how that happens. <laughs> he knew exactly what it was. He's like, oh, they didn't have a safe word? 
That's impressive. We need to have him on as a <laughs> sexpert. <laughs> as I mentioned, the two would break up and then get... get bleh, bleh. They could smell a strong order... A strong order... Odor. odor. You can't make this stuff up. <laughs> hey, we're live, pal. And we'd love for you to come check out our podcast, Tales from the Estate. Each week, we talk about our top five favorite somethings. My beautiful wife, Caitlin, likes to share all sorts of random facts. Yeah. Did you know that cows have accents? We did now. But we also review all sorts of snacks and other great things. And so if you love everything random, I think you'd enjoy Tales from the Estate. So come check us out. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.